Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right, so uh, today we are going to continue with our series, Heroes and Villains, which is a series that we've been doing for several years now, um, and it's returning, and we actually have this week and next week is remaining. Um, So this is a series, in case you're new to it or would like a refresher, really all about... um, you know, examining and exploring stories of characters in the Bible um, and what their stories can say to us. And that's one of the best things that I love about story, but particularly about the Bible, is that the characters in the stories are not just simply people who maybe once lived, but instead we can actually see ourselves in them. And so we're exploring some of the best and some of the worst characters in this series. And last week uh, we started with Abraham. And Abraham is a story of faith. Um, And we learned about Abraham, and really the story is about seeing the future and learning to walk toward it. Um, Abraham's story, if you remember from last week, and if you hadn't listened to the message, I encourage you to do it. As Kylie had mentioned, we made a big announcement about the direction of our church, but also the message as a whole is really encouraging about whatever God is saying to you, that even though you can't see it necessarily, that God is faithful to bring it uh, to reality if you just walk in faith towards whatever he's telling you. And so um, I encourage you to listen to that. And then next Next week, we'll finish with a story about Jesus, um, who is, of course, the truest and best hero. Um, But we're going to be examining one of the stories from him next week. Uh, But today, we are going to be talking about a somewhat obscure individual in the Bible. His name is Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer. This guy um, is found in Acts chapter 8 and actually has quite the history around him. But a lot of people don't know who he is. But before we get into that, I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever been to a magic show or have seen one on TV? Okay, so most of us in the room, right? So the thing about magic shows is that they can be pretty amazing. Um, The individual, whether they're an illusionist or, um, you know, sleight of hand or whatever it might be, um, it's pretty incredible to watch and to see what they're doing because there's, you cannot explain it. Um, Oftentimes you find yourself being captivated by the performance of the magician and what they're doing and kind of suspending what appears to be reality, that that they're doing something that isn't possible. And then you find yourself wondering how it's happening, if you've ever seen anything like that. And what happens is because it's so amazing, oftentimes large crowds gather, especially a lot of these guys who are in street magicians, or they gather people in like Las Vegas at their shows and things like that. Um, In our modern era, some of the most famous magicians that we know of, and maybe you're familiar with some of these guys and their pictures should be on the screen here, is like, how many of you ever heard of David Copperfield? So David Copperfield, most of us maybe have never even seen him because he was really popular mostly in the 80s, um, but his most famous trick was to make the Statue of Liberty disappear. How many of you have ever seen that trick? So like three people. Okay, so that, right. But, it's, but he was one of the guys who really set the stage for modern magic, right? Um, and this was before video editing in the way that we know it today. He did that in, a, in front of a live audience, which was what was crazy. So all of us were watching it on TV, but he actually had people there watching the Statue of Liberty disappear. Well, more recently, there was a guy named Chris Angel. How many of you ever heard of Chris Angel? He had a show on TV called Mind Freak, um, where he would actually walk around various places places, like in Las Vegas or in Los Angeles and these places on the street, and he would do things like levitate. 
This is crazy. Like one of his most famous tricks is actually lifting himself off the ground and levitating. And one of the most bizarre things that I ever saw him do was he walked down the side of a building. I don't even know how that's possible. He would walk down the side of a building and not fall to his death, which is crazy. And even more recently, uh, how many of you ever heard of David Blaine? Anybody ever heard of him? So David Blaine is known for a variety of things, one of them which is called bending quarters, where he's actually not bending them. He bites the quarter, breaks off a piece of it, and then spits it back out and it reattaches. That's crazy. Or another one of his famous tricks is he drinks like a gallon of water and then he spits up or regurgitates a live frog. Like, and he does this in like public, like live in front of people, right? And so obviously people are amazed watching him do these tricks, watching these individuals do these tricks. Large crowds gather. Well, just like David Copperfield, just like Chris Angel or, uh, you know, David Blaine or even Harry Houdini a long time ago, they would gather these large crowds of people. They became incredibly famous uh, in their amazement. Simon the Sorcerer in the book of Acts was one of these kinds of guys. So we're going to read today in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to really see that his story was a lot more than just fun and games, but actually has a deeper, more sinister side to it. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Acts chapter 8. That's in the New Testament. Uh, After the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we get into Acts, which is all about the Acts of the Apostles. So after Jesus had resurrected, the apostles and disciples were sent out to spread the Gospel. So we're going to begin reading in Acts 8 verse 5. So we get a little bit of context right off the bat. Philip, who was one of the apostles, went down to a city in Samaria Samaria is a place uh, in Israel. So Israel has a top and a bottom, a north and a south, and in between was a place called Samaria. They have Jewish ancestry, but they were considered to not be Jewish really at all. No one thought they were Jewish. They were actually discriminated against. Everybody hated the Samaritans. That's where the story of the good Samaritan came from, which is why, by the way, that story was so countercultural, because that would be like saying, hey, take the most marginalized person in your society and make him the hero of the story. That's what happened in the good Samaritan. So the gospel message is going out from Jerusalem now and into the rest of the, the region, and it goes into Samaria. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed, the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs that he was performing. He was performing miracles, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, were saying, this man, Jesus Christ, was crucified and was dead, is the true Savior, the true God, and to prove it that he is alive again, here's this miracle. You are healed, and people began to follow after Philip. Now, verse 9 says, a man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. So this guy was saying, I am God. I am a superhuman being. He's saying that. And then he was doing sorcery. They all paid attention to him. Listen to this. From the least of them to the greatest, every single person in that city, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. 
Now, we're going to pause here and just kind of talk about what's happening in this story. Now, in this era, it's really valuable for us to know that this was an era of where you would have a constant supply of godlike impersonators. So at this time in history, it was not uncommon for people to walk into a city, walk into the town square, and raise their hands up and say, I am God, follow me, or I am a follower of God, or I am the Savior. Okay, Jesus was one of them, for example, okay? This happened all the time. Now, Simon, the sorcerer, the Greek word here is, I'm going to butcher this, I tried it all week, mageuo, mageuo. I want you guys to say it too, mageuo. It literally means practicer of the magic arts, okay? Now, here's what we need to understand. When we think of a sorcerer, we tend to think of like a wizard, right? That's what the word that conjures in my mind. And here are some of the most famous wizards that we think of. For example, Merlin, right? Any of you ever read or heard of the story of Arthur and the, the round table and Excalibur? Merlin is the wizard uh, from, from that story. Or more recently, we have uh, Dumbledore. Dumbledore is uh, the famous wizard from the Harry Potter stories, right? Or my favorite, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. Now, all three of these guys are the kind of wizards that we normally think of who are like, they wear like long robes, every single one of these guys, right? Long robes, Long beards, white hair, usually have a staff or like a magic wand, and they're known for things like conjuring creatures, controlling the elements, moving fire around, um, you know, the ability to conjure things, shoot things out, protect the spells, those kinds of things. But that's not what we're talking about with Simon the Sorcerer. That is like a fantastical sort of concept, but that's not to say that magic, the magic arts, isn't real, or that at least in a historical context, we need to understand what exactly. Simon was doing to understand why he was gathering these crowds. He was not a David Copperfield. He was not a, uh, a David Blaine. He wasn't doing parlor tricks. He was doing what the Bible would call or even historical uh, records would call ritualistic magic. And here are some types of magic that we're talking about. Herbal magic, for example. Uh, this is like taking herbs and mixing them together in potions and poisons. So the idea of um, he would create them and either sell them or use them on people to either help them get better from an ailment or to protect them against something or if someone was particularly needing to be rubbed out or to, to hurt someone, they could create a poison uh, to, to do that. Herbal magic was very common and he, uh, Simon the Sorcerer most likely engaged in that. The next is healing and protection. So things like amulets or um, creating items or uh, doing various kinds of rituals to help someone get better. Uh, so they would bring them, almost like a doctor, like a shaman or like, a, like a, a head doctor, that kind of thing. They would bring them to this individual and they would perform some kind of ceremonial rite um, that would design to help them get better um, or to protect them from like an evil spirit or something. So Simon would have been engaged in healing or protection magic. Another kind of magic that was very common around the era was fertility magic. And this is the kind of thing where either you want to have children or the crops in the, in the area. So um, fertility was a magic that was practiced in Egypt. It was a big one. Uh, I think Osiris, I think, was the, was the god of fertility, I believe. So the magicians of that era, or in this case, Simon the sorcerer, he was engaging in the kinds of magic that was to, to get the crops to grow or harvests to grow or to help people have 
have baby. And oftentimes that involved, that involved uh, sexual practices and prostitution and temples and those kinds of things. Um, now it takes a turn for the dark, okay? Now these next two types of magic that Simon almost guaranteed was involved in, the first was called a medium, right? So this is, this is communing with the dead, with deads, with, or the spirits of the dead. The idea of, of, of um, putting yourself into such a state or a trance-like state to be able to actually communicate with uh, an evil spirit or a demon or a spirit of the lost or of the dead, and they would then get information uh, to communicate with a loved one or a lost one or any of those kinds of things. That involved serious, like, dark art type of stuff. And then the last one is what's called divination, Divination is interpreting the divine, so dreams, um, you know, like putting yourself again into a state to actually interpret the mind or the will of God. But then it involves something, this is where we get our normal wizards, right? Wordplay, putting together specific words in order to manipulate a God or to manipulate a spirit. So what Simon was doing and because it says that he was amazing people with his sorceries. And this is not the kind of word, the Greek word for it is this magic word, mag- maguan, which means sorcery, not like parlor tricks. It's literally the kind of magic that he was, he was casting spells or curses, and it was actually working in the spirit realm to where things were happening, much like the miracles that the apostles were performing, right? But here's what happens. So they called him the great power of God, and it's in, parent, it's in quotation marks, which means that they thought he was the impersonification, the physical manifestation of God. They saw what he was doing. They saw Simon's ability and his magic that he was working, and it was so evident to them that from the least to the greatest in the city, they followed him and even worshiped him. So that's interesting. He captivated the entire city, but then Philip shows up and takes away everyone's attention. So here's what it says in verse 12. But when they believed Philip, so everybody came, so Simon was there doing all his magic and the entire city was following him and worshiping. We're amazed by what Simon was doing. But then Philip comes, proclaims the name of Jesus and begins performing miracles to prove the resurrection account. And it says that when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And then interestingly enough, even Simon believed. So that's it. Oh, that's good, right? Even Simon believed. And after he was baptized, Simon followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and the great miracles that were being performed. Now, at this point, this all sounds great, right? Like, this sounds really good that this man who was practicing magic, who was a sorcerer, who was like, who, you know, had left his dark magic behind and begins to, says, I believe in the message of the gospel, and he follows, he even gets baptized, and then he follows after Philip, follows around and is amazed at the miracles that he is performing right? And he does that in looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you would think that this is good, except that not everything is always as it seems. So let's follow along. Number verse 14, when the apostles 
who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, other apostles along. And after they went down there, they prayed for the Samaritans so that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come down on any of them in a physical manifestation like it had in other places. It says they'd only been baptized in water, okay? Then Peter and John laid their hands on all the people who had said, I believe in Jesus, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where it gets really good. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, hey, give me this power also so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. But then Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part, you have no share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Wait a minute, I don't understand. How is my heart not right before God? I believed, right? Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible that your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. And then Simon can't even pray for himself. He says, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. All right. So now we see the truth of the matter right here, okay? Simon went from initially apparently looking like he believed in Jesus and walking away from his former life to being condemned by Peter for trying to buy spiritual power. Now, there's actually a word for this. It's called simony. Have you ever heard of that word, simony? This is literally the word that means the practice of buying or selling ecclesiastical privileges. Now, you might have heard in your history lessons about how the Catholic Church sold indulgences back in uh, the Middle Ages, right? They were selling forgiveness. This is literally simony, and the word comes from this story of a man who tried to buy an ecclesiastical. Ecclesiastes is the word for church, like it's the word of the organized faith, right? So trying to buy spiritual privileges is what the word simony means, and it comes from this story. This story is really revealing Simon's true motivations, because it appears that what really is going on is that Simon, who was once revered and looked upon as the personification of a God, remember that the entire city said, you are the power of a God, right? Has now been one-upped by Philip and Peter as they proclaim Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the one true God. And it appears as though Simon believes in their power like he would by a, um, like the people believed in his. So, so, it, so what we see here is that it's not so much that, that Simon believed in the power of Jesus as in recognizing the need for a savior, but instead, that not because he had a revelation of who Jesus was, but because it was greater than his own magic. I think that's really what we see here is that, is that he was jealous that he looked at, at Philip and he walks after Philip and he sees Philip's, like, like every day he sees the miracles. It says that he walked after him and he was, he was amazed by his power, not because it revealed Jesus to him, not because it caused his heart to crumble under the weight of his sin and then he recognized that he needed a savior, but actually because the power that was represented by the Holy Spirit somehow was, was greater than his own magic could, could do. And that's why the people followed. 
I mean, if they were equal, they probably, if I know anything, like if they're the same, I just stick with what I know, right? That's all of us. Like I'm not going to move from one cell phone plan to another. I'm not going to change my computer. I'm not going to, you know, move a job. I'm not going to do anything if it's the same. So there must have been something different in the power that the apostles were doing when they preached the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ as the one true Savior and were healing people. There must have been moments in where Simon's magic didn't work appropriately or just didn't go just far enough. And so what the apostles were doing clearly took the people away. And the reason that Simon believed wasn't because he wanted a Savior, was because he wanted to learn the power so that he could get those people back. He thought that he could buy that power, much like he would buy a spell book or like he would learn a new ritual, and then he could get that popularity back. And so Peter draws a very clear line in the sand, and he speaks directly to Simon's motivations and ultimately to each one of us here today that you cannot manipulate God or earn his gifts, and beyond that, that God cares more about our heart's intent than he does anything else. And so the story of Simon the sorcerer, if you're taking notes, write this down, is a warning about our heart's true intentions. That's really what this story is about. The story of Simon the sorcerer is a warning about our heart's true intentions. Now here's what I would say. Here's how we can make this practical for us. Why do we pray? Why do we sing songs? Why do we study scripture? Why do we even go to church? Why do we give of our finances? Why do we volunteer? Why do we serve? Is it because we have been transformed by a relationship with God? Because we've received his grace and his mercy and we want to give of ourselves so we can grow closer to him and be partners with him? Is that why we do those things? Or are there spaces in our lives in which we hope that we'll get what we want or what we need from God if we do the things that we think will make him happy? Listen, our first reaction is probably to put a defense up around our heart and say, no, of course not. I go to church because I want to grow and I want to know about God. And I I read my Bible because I want to know about it more and I want to interpret that in my life. I give because I know that it funds the church and the ministry. and, and And I get that. And I am not immune to any of this. What the question that I'm asking is, what is the true motivation in every moment when we pray or when we read scripture? Do we do it out of guilt? That I, I read my Bible today, not because I really wanted to, but because I felt like if I didn't, that God might be mad at me. And, if, and that I've really been praying about this one thing. And if I don't pray today or I don't read Scripture today, I'm worried that'll count against me. I cannot be the only one in the room who ever felt that way. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just telling you. And that's the heart of this story, right? Yes, like Simon was trying to like buy spiritual power and authority and the ability to, like to, to imbue the Holy Spirit upon people. But the message is still the same. Look what, look what Peter said. He says, your heart's intent, the motivation of it. Simon saw Jesus and his power as a means to an end. He believed in his power and his true heart's intent was to do what was necessary to achieve that power for himself so that ultimately he could get the glory for it. And so in a way, anything that we say, anything that we do 
to try and influence or manipulate God is like a form of magic in the context of this passage of Scripture. You're like, I'm not a magician. I'm not a David Copperfield, and I'm certainly not doing potions and poisons, and I'm not working in divination. But in the metaphor of what it is, anything that we say or we do to try to get God to do what we want him to do is the same thing in our daily routines, on the way to work, to read the Bible, to listen to worship, to go to church. And like I said, to feel guilty and I worry if I don't do those things or if I'll do it more, maybe I'll get more, maybe I'll get what I want. And there's a fine line in between leaning into God's desire for us and manipulating. There's a fine line there. So really, we're talking about a substitute for a relationship. That's the thing. It's like magic literally was a manipulation. The words that he was using were designed to manipulate a divine source to get something powerful to happen. And in our context, anything that we do that substitutes a relationship with God is like trying to influence or manipulate God without the, without the reason for it. God calls us to know him, calls us to simply be in his presence, and he promises that as we are close to him, that his blessing comes upon our lives. But not because I've done something, not because I work hard, but instead because it's who we are and who he is is how we get to know him and his power shows up in our life. Now, look what it says in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. This is God. This is David talking to God. He says, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it to you. In other words, I don't, you don't need my prayer. You don't need my money. You don't need my Bible reading time. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. Instead, The sacrifice that's pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. What he's saying here is I recognize that I could give you in their terms all the cows in the entire, like cows and cattle was finance. That's what it was, okay? Like the riches. I could give you every animal I own. I could bring it to the altar in the temple. I could burn it up for you. And if my heart isn't in the right place, God could care less about it. Instead, what he wants is humility, understanding, the recognition, the knowledge of I need a Savior. I need you, God. That's what we sang these songs this morning, right? Like, like what are the things that we're letting go of in front of him? What are the things that we, we cannot do without him? The recognition that I can't fix my paycheck problem. I can't fix my relationship problems. I can't fix the fear in my heart or the doubt that I live. I can't do any of those things. The recognition, Simon didn't recognize that. Simon thought if I could just obtain that thing that I'll be able to be right back to where I was. The story of Simon the sorcerer is a warning about our heart's true intentions. So, so we can kind of wrap this up. How do we apply this to our lives? Today is obviously a villain story, right? The story about a person that we don't want to live like, but we still want to learn from it. How can we apply Simon's story to our lives? The first thing is to check your heart. Check your heart. Man, I have a hair stuck in my tongue. <laughs> it's the worst. Look what verse 21 says. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. So here's a great example of this in my own life. I like to share stories from my own life of how God has worked in my heart for this. 
For years, I envisioned myself being a speaker at conferences, at like church conferences and, um, you know, writing a book. And I remember saying, God, how come our church isn't taking off? How come, how come I'm not being famous? I did a podcast, and I, and, and I love my podcast, and I want to get back to it. And I remember saying to God, God, I want to be on a stage in front of thousands of people. I want to preach to those people. I want to be known as someone around the world who, who, who is relevant and practical. All the things that I love about my teaching and that people tell me they enjoy about my teaching, I want the world to know it, right? And I lied to myself for a long time or deluded myself or I was blind to it, whatever, whichever it was, that, that I was honorably wanting those things. But the reality was is that I didn't want that for God's glory. I wanted those things for myself. I wanted to be validated, to feel like if I could get to that moment, then I will have been, I've arrived. I'll feel good about myself. People will know I'm a good preacher. People will know I was a good pastor, right? That's what I wanted is I wanted that recognition. I wanted that value much like Simon. I didn't want the power of the Holy Spirit to be lived out in other people's lives so that Jesus would be glorified. He wanted it for himself so that he could have the popularity. He could feel validated and know his identity was rock solid in his capabilities. And I it came to this understanding at one point that I had to check my heart, that I was wrong, that the things that I wanted, the dreams that I had, which God may do that one day, but if he doesn't, it's fine. And if he does, it'll be because my heart is in the place of because I want the world to know Jesus. I want them to know him. I want them to experience his power and be, for him to be glorified, not so that I can be lifted up and be popular. Whatever it is in your own heart right now, whatever it is in your own life right now, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is beginning to even maybe kind of like shine a little spotlight in your own life right now. What is something in your heart or in your life that God is saying, you are not doing this to glorify me. You're doing it for yourself. You're building your own kingdom. You want yourself to be looked on to be popular. The story of Simon the sorcerer is a warning about our heart's true intentions. We have to check our hearts. And always, every time we have an ambition towards something, just ask the question, God, is my heart in the right place? Why do I want this? Examine it. Why do I want this thing? And the answer might be because I want people to know Jesus or, I, or because, God, you've put this opportunity in front of me and I want to take the gifts that you've given me. That doesn't mean that anyone who is a public speaker or anyone who does travel the world or anyone who does write a book or any person who does those things, that they're wrong because there are some incredible men and women of God who are being used powerfully around the world and bringing people to Jesus and translating the gospel in a way that makes sense to people that other people can't do. And that's wonderful. And there are also plenty of people who are in that world whose hearts are not in the right place, who are using it as a platform for, to, to, to better themselves. And there are some people who are living in the tension of both. And that's probably more realistic for all of us, right? For us is to always be living in that tension and always striving to say, God, I will go as far as you will take me. I will live on whatever mountain you want me to live on. I will be in front of whatever spotlight you call me to be in, if at all. But I want my heart to be in the right place. So the second thing, besides checking our heart constantly, is to clean your heart. We have to check it and then clean it. Look at verse 22 says, so he told him, check your heart, Simon. And he says, but therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. 
So once you recognize, God, man, like, wow, I didn't realize it about myself. There's a, an action that needs to take place. There's a space in which we have to say, I want to turn from that. I don't want to live like that, God. Help me to, to be different. And we see a great example of this in Psalm 51. Again, earlier in that same passage, David is writing. He says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. Now, a little context for this particular. Psalm 51 was right after David was king and murdered the husband of a woman that he wanted and then had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And so he's, he's recognized the wickedness in his own heart. He used his position of power and authority that God had given him to bless a nation. He used it for his own glory instead of for God's. And he used it for evil, but then he recognized it. God sent someone to his life, sent a prophet to him. And sometimes that's what God does for us. Sometimes when we can't see our own blind spots or our own, our own sin or our own, you know, kind of uh, manipulations or our own, um, you know, just, just desire to do something for our own gain, sometimes God sends a friend. Sometimes God sends a pastor or a sermon or a song or, you know, any number of things. But it's our responsibility to be willing to receive it and then to clean your heart. And so I want to make this our prayer today. And any time that we recognize, and I hear me, guys, like this is not like, I don't know anything that any of you guys may be like, I'm not targeting anyone, okay? So this is a great, like, put it in your pocket and keep it there for when God brings something to your attention, remember that there are going to be days in your life where you want something or God has put something in your heart and it's so easy to transition and forget. It's about glorifying him. It's about being used by him as a tool in his hand. So I want us to pray that together. Would you guys maybe even just close your eyes and I'm gonna read through this scripture again. And instead of listening, I want you to, to just pray it. I'm gonna just do it slowly and I just want you to pray that. And if there is something right now in your life, in your heart, that God has put in, in your mind is pinpointing this thing that maybe is a space where you're not giving God glory for it and you're taking it for yourself. Or you, maybe God's showing your, your, your motivations are, are, are off base or whatever it might be. I want you to pray this and make this your prayer right now. You can do it silently from your chair. God, create a clean heart for me. Create a clean heart for me. Create a clean heart. Forgive me. Pour your grace over me. Show me the areas that I'm weak in, the areas that are wrapped up or bound in wickedness and sin, like Peter said to Simon. God, create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Renew a right spirit in me. Change the way I think. Change my motivation. Replace that motivation that I had selfishly or for myself and instead replace it with a motivation for you to be used by you, to give you glory. Let my life be a reflection of you 
May everything that I do be done as if it's to the Lord, as if it's done for God. God, create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast, right spirit within me. God, thank you for the story of Simon. It's kind of an interesting story right in the middle of all this awesome stuff that you are doing, that you did in the book of Acts. And there's always a warning there for us, for our heart's intent, our true heart's intent. There is awesome adventure ahead and waiting for each one of us as we step into a place of um, being willing to be used by you. Whether we step out and we you know, pray for the sick where we pray for our coworkers in the middle of um, days when they're expressing something is difficult. God, maybe for some of us in the room, you, you do have some incredible um, spiritual gifts waiting to be used for some of us. There are people who, who are used in, in some supernatural ways. God, I pray that no matter what it is, whether we do pray for a friend and they get healed or their cold goes away, or we pray for someone's finances to get better and they, and they do, God, that we would never, never, never think that that's us. And instead, God, it's to glorify you. Thank you for this warning of our heart's intentions. Let us be pure before you. Create a clean heart in us, God. And renew a steadfast, right spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to finish with just a chorus of a song to just kind of close out this moment today. Now let's sing together and then we'll close up. everything we do be a light to others around us. We thank you for what you said to us today. I thank you for speaking to us in worship this morning. And thank you for the challenge this morning. Let's carry this out of here and be thoughtful and mindful of it as we move forward. Keep us safe as we go from here and bring us back together again soon. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Lunch is at five guys in the waterworks. We're going to tear down and then we'll head over there and let's have a great afternoon. Bye, everybody.
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.